That's a great song. Thank you, guys. Profound questions. Just okay is not good enough. I don't want to go through my life asking, what if I had given everything? What, what when we get to heaven and uh, God has forgiven us and cleansed us and, and we'll be allowed entrance into heaven, but gosh, I don't, want to, I don't want to think, why did I hold anything back? Why didn't I give him everything? Why wasn't my passion more for him, more about him? Um, if you read your Beacon article this week, you know I'm going to start a series on the disciples today. This is the first Sunday of Lent. We've got seven Sundays leading up to Easter. And uh, I know there are more than seven disciples, but there's several disciples that we don't have a lot of information about, so I'll be combining them into one service. But this morning, I wanted us to look at the first disciple. His name is Andrew. His name is Andrew. And uh, he was the first one that Jesus called. And I've got a real simple uh, couple of verses in John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. The sermon's entitled, Andrew, Ministry in the Background. Andrew's ministry was primarily in the background. And we're going to take a look at that today and see even in the background, his ministry, how important it was, how essential he was to the working of the kingdom of God. John 1, chapter 40. One of the two who heard John speak, this is John the Baptist who's preaching. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, so you were Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or the rock. So the very first thing Andrew did, he heard about Jesus from John the Baptist. And then when Jesus came, Jesus called Andrew first. And the very first thing that Andrew did was get his brother Peter and take him to Jesus. Let's bow together. Father, as we come today to think about Andrew, it's not many people in the Bible or many among us who are happy playing second fiddle. We prefer the spotlight. We prefer to be out in front, in charge, barking orders. And yet there are people like Andrew, so essential to the kingdom, who bring others to you, who tell others about you, and who are willing just to serve humbly and quietly in the background. Father, lower our egos and raise our willingness to serve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we start thinking about the 12 this morning, one thing I want you to see from the very outset about the 12 apostles, we call them apostles because they saw Jesus. A disciple is anyone who is a follower of Jesus. You and I can be disciples. But the term apostle is reserved for those who actually saw Jesus and walked with him. The 12, uh, Paul considered himself an apostle having what he said, uh, uh, saw Jesus on the Damascus Road. But the 12 apostles, what I want you to see about them is that when Jesus came and recruited those men who 
uh, he would pour himself into and, and disciple most closely, they were not the religious establishment. There was nothing really special about them. They, they were not the higher-ups. It was not the, the Pharisees or the scribes or the lawyers or anyone like that among Judaism that Jesus chose to follow. As a matter of fact, those first 12 were a ragtag bunch that did not have an impressive resume. They just left everything and followed him. That's what made them special. Not who they were, not their gifts, not their abilities, not their talents, not their background, not their knowledge or education. None of them were educated. It was just a bunch of guys that were willing to follow Jesus. Just simple, as a matter of fact, they looked a lot like us. They looked a lot like we do. You know, I grew up thinking that the disciples were just this awesome bunch of guys that were just one step below Jesus. You know, they were almost perfect and they did everything right. But when I really got to seminary and started studying the disciples, I realized how many mistakes they made, how, how flawed they were. And uh, I guess it encouraged me because I thought, you know, maybe they aren't so different from us. And maybe the things that the disciples did, you know, we can work toward as well. So there's some things about Andrew specifically that I want you to see. He's the first one that Jesus called. And uh, my, my outline is Andrew was in the background with people. He was in the background with gifts. And he was in the background with service. People, gifts, and service. Andrew just stayed in the background. And he, he didn't let his ego bother him. He didn't, you know, vie for attention or importance or positions of influence. He just took the role that, that God had given him and fulfilled it with, with joy. He was in the background with people. Do you remember of the 12 disciples, there were three who were sort of in the inner circle with Jesus. Do you remember who they were? Peter, James, and John. And we'll be talking about them shortly because they were among the first that Jesus called to. But Andrew was in that original circle. It was Andrew who told Peter, and then it was James and John, and those were the first four. But from that point on, Andrew kind of drops out of the picture, and all you ever hear about in the inner circle are Peter, James, and John. Last Sunday night, we... Uh, we talked about the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, and Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him into that girl's bedroom to raise her. In Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him to view his transfiguration, to see what was going to happen on that mountaintop. And I have to wonder, where's Andrew? When, when Peter, James, and John are, are kind of the ones that Jesus draws more closely among the 12 to him and takes them special places to be privy to, to special information, to see wonderful things happen that the other nine did not get to participate in. Where's Andrew? What's he doing? Well, he is willingly fulfilling the role that God had assigned to him, whatever it might be. The very first thing he did... It says right here in our passage, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he 
first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, John 1, 41. So the first one Jesus called was Andrew, and what's the first thing he does? He goes and tells his brother, Simon, Peter. Jesus names him Peter, his name's Simon. He says, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Now, Peter was the one who eventually rose to prominence. Peter was the one who preached to thousands. Peter was the one at Pentecost. You remember he preached and 3,000 were saved in one day? And Andrew was the one who told Peter about Jesus. And so even though Peter was the one who came to the forefront, and even though Peter was the one who uh, was the evangelist for the crowds, the masses, and thousands were converted and saved, Andrew was the one behind Peter. And that's what I love about this. You know, you may not be the one who preaches to thousands. You might not be the next Billy Graham or Billy Sunday or Dwight L. Moody. You might not be the one who's, who's on television preaching to, to hundreds of thousands of people. But you might be the person who tells that person about Jesus. Or you might be the person who tells the person who tells the person about Jesus. Is your role any less important? No. Because without you, that person that, that God is using in a different way, in a more public arena perhaps, would have never heard about Jesus if you had not been faithful to go and share him with them. There's another passage in John 12, verses 20 and 22. I'm just going to flip over to it. There are some Greeks who come to Philip, and they had heard about Jesus. Verse 21, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we would see Jesus. And what does Philip do? The very first thing he does is goes and tells Andrew. And Andrew goes with Philip, and they tell Jesus. And then Jesus comes and preaches to the Gentiles, the Greeks. I wonder why Philip, when the Greeks come to him and say, Sir, we would see Jesus, why doesn't Philip go straight to Jesus? Why does Philip go to Andrew? And then Andrew goes with Philip to Jesus. Because that's what Andrew does. Andrew is the one who escorts people to Jesus. He's the emissary. He's the ambassador. He's the one that everybody feels comfortable with. I don't know quite what to do, Andrew. Can you help me here? Yes, let's go and tell Jesus. He'll know what to do about these Greeks. So Andrew is, is the one who brings people to Jesus. If you stop and think about it, when he brings his brother Simon Peter to Jesus, he's the first home missionary. And when he brings the Greeks to Jesus, he's the first foreign missionary. So that's a good missions message right there. Andrew, foreign missionary, home missionary with Peter and the Greeks. So behind every Christian, what I want you to see behind every Christian is somebody who told them about Jesus. Even if they just gave them a Bible, even if they just put a Bible down somewhere and somebody picked it up 
somebody learned about Jesus through someone else. And that was Andrew's role. He was in the background bringing people to Jesus. A lot of you might have never heard of the name Edward Kimball. Anybody know the name Edward Kimball? See? Doesn't sound very important. But Edward Kimball is the man who led Dwight L. Moody to Christ. Dwight L. Moody was the famous evangelist in the late 19th, early 20th century in America and in England. And when he preached, thousands were saved. Dwight L. Moody was 19 years old when he first came to Edward Kimball's Sunday school class. And, and Dwight L. Moody was not educated. He's totally ignorant of the Bible. He was totally ignorant about Jesus. He knew absolutely nothing. And so Edward Kimball decides one day that he's going to go and share Jesus with, with D.L. Moody. And, and Dwight Moody was working in a, a shoe store. And Edward Kimball writes to the account, he says, I mean, he is a shy and timid quiet man and Edward Kimball says you know he says he walked up and down in front of that shoe store a dozen times before he got up the courage to go in he didn't know what he was going to say he didn't know what he was going to do but he went in and he found D.L. Moody in the stock room of that shoe store in Boston stocking shoes and he said I used limping words poor words and told D.L. Moody about Jesus and that he was a sinner and Jesus died on the cross to save him from his sins and that he could invite Jesus into his heart to be his Lord and Savior. And he said in that instant, D.L. Moody was converted and he invited Jesus and he was saved. And from that point on, God called D.L. Moody to great things. And as I said, he preached crusades in America in the late 19th, early 20th century in England um, they knew of him in England when he came crowds thronged to hear him there is a, a, a seminary in Boston now called the Moody Bible Institute that has trained thousands of evangelists and teachers and preachers but none of that would have happened if if a, a shy Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball had not gone into that shoe store that day and told D.L. Moody about Jesus and his love. Edward Kimball was the Andrew in D.L. Moody's life. You never hear of him, never in the spotlight, but he was the one who told Dwight Moody about Jesus, and Moody was the one that everybody knows about. Andrew was in the background with people. He's also in the background with gifts. He's not out in front, but he sees the value of small things. And here's the story. It's in John chapter 6. Jesus had gone to a mountain to be alone with his disciples. And we're told in John 6 that it's the Passover. And, and we know that uh, John marks the seasons of Jesus' life by Passover, so this must have been one year before the last Passover when Jesus is crucified. So Jesus has one year left. He's got these 12 disciples that he's trying to, to teach, that he's trying to pour himself into, because when he's gone, it's going to be on the shoulders of these 12 disciples to carry on the message of the gospel. And, and time is fleeting, time is short, and the message is important, and Jesus 
um, crosses the Sea of Galilee and here the disciples and before Jesus can really get away, throngs find out where he is and gather around him. And so Jesus gets up and he preaches. And an object lesson he uses, interestingly, he talks about bread in his message. And then it says in John chapter 6 that the hour is late and the people are hungry. And so the disciples say it's time to send them home to get something to eat. And Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. And the disciples said, but there are 5,000 men and women and children here. There's no way we can accumulate enough food to feed all these. And, and Andrew is the one who says... But there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. If I'd been standing there beside Andrew and there was a crowd of 5,000 people and Andrew says, well, here's somebody with five barley loaves and two fish, I would have started laughing. I would have said, you can't be serious. Are you kidding? Five barley loaves? What are they among so many people? And yet, you know what happens? Jesus takes those five barley loaves and two fish and prays over them and starts dividing them and they feed 5,000 people with how many left over? Twelve baskets full left over. All because Andrew, in the face of so much need, saw this little boy that had his sack lunch with him, five loaves of bread and two fish, and thought enough of it to bring it to Jesus. Why did Andrew do that? I think because Andrew must have known that nothing is insignificant when presented to Jesus. Nothing is unimportant when given to Jesus. That's just what Andrew always did. He was always bringing people to Jesus. He was always bringing things to Jesus. It didn't matter how big, how small, how important, how unimportant they might seem. Andrew realized his role was to take people and things and put them in Jesus' hand and let him do with them as he sees fit. So Andrew, Jesus uses Andrew and that little boy with five loaves and two fish to teach all the disciples a lesson. No gift is too small. No gift is insignificant when you give it to Jesus. He's in the background with people, bringing people to Jesus. He's in the background with gifts, bringing things, bringing food to Jesus to see what Jesus is going to do with it. But I guess his whole attitude is undergirded by the fact that he's in the background with service. He's just in the background with service. Andrew represents everybody who labors humbly and faithfully in the background. Without any fanfare, without any attention, without any recognition, just because he wants to serve. Just because he wants to serve. There's a passage that Paul writes in Ephesians 6, verse 6. And he's talking to slaves, but I think it's a great verse for servanthood. Paul writes, not in the way of eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
you and I aren't supposed to be men pleasers, doing eye service, doing things just to be seen, to please people's eyes, but just servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Now, the challenge in a church like ours, First Baptist Church, is that we have members who are CEOs and business owners and, and lawyers and doctors and administrators, and they're accustomed to being in charge and giving orders where they work and, and telling people what to do. And the challenge is taking folks like that who come into the doors of this church and hear the words of Jesus, if anyone desires to be first, let him be last of all and servant of all. In Mark 9:35, I know you're accustomed to, to being out there in front, to, to, to telling people what to do. But the model of Andrew is to come in and be willing to serve, to be the last of all and the servant of all. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the most important person who ever lived. But combine that with the fact that he was also the greatest servant who ever lived. And that's our model to follow. We don't really know what happened to Andrew after the opening chapters of Acts, after Pentecost. We know Peter preached at Pentecost, and Andrew's mentioned right there is among the disciples when Peter preached. But after that, there's no other mention of Andrew. There's no letter in the New Testament that he wrote. There's no first and second Andrews uh, letters in the New Testament. He's not mentioned in any other letter of Paul. We don't know what happened to him. There are traditions though that are pretty interesting. One tradition says that um, Andrew went up toward an area of Scythia, and I had to look on my map to find where Scythia is, and interestingly enough, it's around Crimea, and we know where Crimea is now because of the Ukraine and all the fighting going on now. And because of that, Andrew, are you ready, is the patron saint today of Russia, because the tradition that he came up into southern Russia and preached. He's also, incidentally, the patron saint of Scotland. So you hear a lot of Scottish people named Andrew today. Tradition also has that after he preached in Scythia, he went as far west as Achaia, which is modern-day Greece, around Athens, that area. And when he got in that area, tradition holds it that he preached, and the wife of a Roman governor was converted. Now, the Roman governor was upset that his wife converted to Christianity, and he demanded that she recant her faith, and she refused. And so, in a fit of anger, this Roman governor had Andrew crucified. But his cross was not a vertical and horizontal beam. His cross was an X. And instead of being nailed to the cross, they lashed him to the cross so his suffering would last longer. And tradition has it that he hung there for two days and passers-by came by and while hanging there, he preached to them and exhorted them and proclaimed the message of Christ to be saved. This man who was always in the background, who led his brother Peter to Jesus, who brought um, the Greeks to Jesus 
who found the little boy with five loaves and two fish and thought it not too insignificant to bring to Jesus. That day proclaimed Christ from an X-shaped cross in Achaia. Was Andrew slighted? Was he overlooked? No, not hardly. Andrew was privileged. Always remember, he was the first one that Jesus picked to follow him. That's, that's fascinating to me. The first person Jesus picked was going to be the one in the background, not the one out in front. Because Jesus knew we'd need a lot more people like Andrew than we do like Simon Peter. We need somebody who will be willing to play second fiddle, who will serve and not demand attention or recognition, but just hear the call, follow me, and answer it, and then spend their lifetime serving Jesus, and will be satisfied to hear one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. That'll be enough. That'll be enough. We need more Andrews than Simon Peter's. And Andrew's legacy in the ministry is it's the little things that count the most. It's those who bring people to Jesus, those who bring gifts to Jesus, those who bring service to Jesus. It's the little things that Andrew did in, behind the scenes that count the most. And when I think about Andrew, I can't help but think about my favorite passage of, of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. I'm going to start at 26. It says, Consider your call, brethren. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many powerful, not many were of noble birth. You remember when Jesus called his disciples? He didn't call the powerful or the noble birth or the wise. What did God do? God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. What does that say? That says that God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God doesn't call extraordinary people. Why is that? Because when they do something, they assume it's their gifts that made it possible. But when ordinary people do something extraordinary, everybody knows that it is of God and not of man. Which brings me to us. What prevents us from serving God like Andrew? It's not our lack of gifts, because 1 Corinthians tells us lack of gifts is an asset, not a liability, because gifts get in the way, because you try to do it under your own power and your own strength. But when you know you can't do it, then you depend on God, and God's the one that makes it possible. So it's not our lack of gifts that interfere with our service. It's our lack of faith, our lack of love, our lack of obedience. But that can change. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to ask, what if I had given everything? People like Andrew show me that there's nobody unimportant there's nobody who can't serve. Matter of fact, it's those quiet people that God uses 
do his greatest work. Let's bow together. Father, as we come today, I just thank you for people like Andrew in our church who serve in the nursery in extension, who serve in the kitchen, who pick up trash, who don't demand recognition, but are glad just to be of service, working around the church, maybe out in the community just by their lives and testimony, reflecting their love for you. Maybe there's someone at school that they've told Jesus about, and that person might tell somebody else, and that person might tell somebody else, and that person might become an evangelist, and thousands come to faith. And every link in that chain is essential. And yet the person who told the person who told the person may never be known. And that's okay. Because you don't use many wise or worldly or important people. But you use the weak and the lowly so that the testimony might be of your greatness and your power and not of man's. Help us be willing to do whatever you call us to do, God, and not wait for someone we think has more gifts and more abilities. Because chances are they're too busy to be of real service to you. Help us be faithful, be loving, and be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.